there's a prevalent phenomenon that is present with students, and I find especially later in their school careers. Many times, maybe junior high, it starts to set in more often high school, and it carries on for those who go on to college. But a question that they like to ask their parents, their teachers, and others is this question. What am I actually going to use this for? What good is algebra going to do me in my life? Why do I have to study physics or chemistry? I mean, I have an idea of what I want to do. And that has nothing to do with it. Or, I have no clue what I, have, what I want to do with my life, but certainly this can't help me one bit. When I went to Bible college, I was an evangelism major. And to this day, I can't tell you why. But there was a specific speech class that evangelism majors were required to take at the college I attended. That speech class, the title was Oral Interpretation of Poetry. Oral Interpretation of Poetry. And I thought, when I saw it, what in the world do I learn in this class? The first day of class, the teacher who was well aware that there were some ministerial students in her class who had that thought, what in the world am I in this class for, decided to share with us why it was so important we take this class. And here was her take. If you don't know the proper way to get up and express a poem, you're going to lose half your crowd. And to this day, I still think, what in the world did I have to take this class for? I've not yet had someone come to me and say, Pastor, I got nothing out of the message today because you did not recite that poem the right way. I, I just haven't had it happen. But this is common with students. What in the world do I need this for? A friend of mine who teaches college, in fact, he was one of my professors when I was in college, and then when I became the youth pastor at the campus church, I had his children in my youth group. He recently shared this on Facebook. He, he shared a quotation by Malcolm Muggeridge, and the quotation is this, education. The great mumbo-jumbo and fraud of the ages purports to equip us to live and is prescribed as a universal remedy for everything from juvenile delinquency to premature senility. For the most part, it serves to enlarge stupidity, inflate conceit, enhance credulity, and put those subjected to it at the mercy of brainwashers with printing presses, radio, and television at their disposal. Those of you who are teachers, don't you feel so much better now? What encouragement it is. Rather than thinking about what you will do with algebra, chemistry, or ancient history... I want you to think about what you will do with something else today. 
the question for you this morning is, what will you do with the word? What will you do with the word? In Luke chapter number 8, the question, what will you do with the word, should prompt our thinking as we read and examine the passage today found in Luke 8, beginning in verse 4 and continuing through verse 21. For, for sake of this message, we'll only read through verse 15 this morning, but I want you to follow along in Luke chapter And when much people were gathered together, and were come to him out of every city, he spake a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they, which when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. Remember, as we look at this passage, Jesus is on a second journey around the region of Galilee, preaching and teaching in the cities and villages. But here a multitude of people have gathered to him, and he taught them. He spake to them by way of a parable. Sometimes we've heard a parable defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Very literally, though, this word simply means a similitude, something that expresses a, a picture that is meant to point to something else. It's a fictitious narrative used to convey a moral or truth. And Jesus used them regularly to convey spiritual truth to those that heard him. If we continue reading through verse 21, what you find in this passage is a parable. The explanation of that parable, a second parable that builds on the first, and then an application of the parables in life and these work together 
to show us what we should do the word let's remember the importance of the word today we could go to many passages of scripture one that we're often presented with is second timothy 3 16 and 17 all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be perfect truly furnished unto all good works the word is god's when you and i take the bible in our hands be it in the written form here be it an app on your phone or your tablet when we take the bible we are taking we are holding the very word of god and it's been given to us to show us his way. It is truth. There is truth in the world apart from the word of God. You know that, don't you? There is truth out there in the world that you won't necessarily find in the Bible. Two plus two equals four. That's true, but you don't find it in the Bible. But no truth equals the value of the truth for your life and mine that is found in the Word of God. In Luke chapter 8, 4 through 21, Jesus expressed through different means what we should do with the Word. These expressions speak to us about how we receive, relate, and respond to the Word. So would you jot down with me, number one this morning, reflect on how I receive the word. Reflect on how I receive the word. And we're going to spend all our time right here this morning. In verses 4 through 15, where we've read, Jesus provides this first parable found in this passage and let's go ahead and identify the different portrayals in the passage. He begins by introducing us to a sower. Who is the sower? In direct context, the sower would have to be identified as Jesus himself. Say, Pastor, why would you say that? What's going on right now? He's traveling around Galilee doing what? Look back at verse number one. He's preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. As Jesus is journeying around Galilee, he's stopping in every city, every village, preaching the gospel, the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. He is spreading the truth of the word of God. In direct context, Jesus is the sower. By general extension, we could say the sower is anyone who sows the seed. And so we spoke last week in Luke 8, 1 through 3, about the disciples who were with Jesus. 
the twelve, the certain women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, as they heard him preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, he would later tell them before he ascended to heaven, this is what I'm leaving you to do. To go and preach the gospel everywhere to every creature. Be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Go everywhere telling my story. And so everyone who shares the seed would be the sower. What is the seed? He tells us very clearly, doesn't he? In verse number 10 and 11, the seed is the word of God. It is God's truth as revealed in his word. But then we have the soil or the soils. Four different soils, if you will, four different receptions of the word. The soil more generally just speaks about those who have the privilege and responsibility of coming under the sound of the word of God. As Jesus traveled and preached and showed the glad tidings of the kingdom, in his perspective, people received the word he preached and proclaimed four different ways. And the question that we need to ask today is, what will we do with the word? You see, because the truth is, every one of us could be found in one of these four soils. Every one of us receives the word one of these four ways. All right, so... What are the four ways of receiving the word? In verses 5 and 12, the parable and then Jesus' commentary on the parable. In verses 5 and 12, some hear but never believe. Some hear. As Jesus went about preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. As Jesus preached the gospel and backed it up with the works that he did. The love that he showed. Some heard. And never believed. The devil accomplished his work in his commentary jesus said of those on that soil that the devil comes and he takes it away before it takes root and grows paul described satan's work in second corinthians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 when he said this but if our gospel be hid it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Paul describes a spiritual battle that is taking place as the gospel is being preached. Jesus experienced this. 
As he went about preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, the gospel, this spiritual battle was taking place. It has been taking place generation after generation. It is taking place even today here and in other churches where the word of God is being proclaimed. God's truth is being presented. People are sitting under it. They are hearing it. But some are not believing because the devil is finding success in doing his work to blind them to the truth of God. To the truth that they're sinners who stand condemned in their sin before a holy and a just God. That that God who is perfect, holy, just, loves them so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross in their place. He was buried and three days later arose from the grave and that they can be saved simply by trusting him. But some won't believe. Maybe that's you today. Someone sitting right here in this auditorium, someone watching or listening by way of the internet Stream. You are hearing the word. You've heard the word. But never been saved. If you've never personally accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. This describes you. You're that one on whom the seed has been cast. But it's, it's in the, the wayside. It's trodden down. The fowls of the air devoured it. Satan has come and he has taken the seed away. You don't realize it, but the devil works constantly in your life to keep you from the gospel. Even now as you're hearing the word of God, the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed. How will you receive the word? If you hear but then walk away. The seed has been sowed, but it fell by the wayside and Satan came and stole it away. He is once again blinded. Don't give in. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's a second soil. There are those who hear but never believe. Notice secondly in verses 6 and 13, others hear and receive, but then they fall away because of temptations. Look again in verse 13 specifically. Jesus says, They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these, think, these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. The word temptation that's used in verse 13 is used throughout the New Testament. In some contexts referring to trials of faith. In some contexts referring to temptations to sin. Then there's this phrase, these found in that soil, they fall away. And once again... This phrase is used in context of people who are unsaved as well as context of people who are saved. Some would look at this passage and say, well, those spoken of in verses 6 and 13 are unsaved. They never really believed. Others would say, no, they're, they are saved, but they, they don't grow. They become unproductive. 
The reality is, I can't say for you one or the other. The reality is that some who express faith in Christ and then fall away were never really saved. But it's also true that there are some who express faith in Christ and then never really grow, never really serve him, never really do a work for him, never really use their lives for his service. They are truly saved. And unproductive. They, they don't follow Jesus in a committed way. Pastor Tony Evans describes it this way, believers who lack the discipline of spending time with God, living in obedience to his word and serving his people, are unable to stand up under the pressure when difficulties come their way and they become unproductive. So when you think about verses 6 and 13, here's the question that you should ask yourself. How are you prone to respond when temptations to sin or trials of faith come your way? When you face temptations to sin or trials of faith, are you prone to move away from God or closer to God? Is it the typical character of your life when temptations to sin come your way that you just give in? When trials of faith come your way that, that you're tempted to, to draw back from God, your relationship with God, to draw back from the community of God's people, to draw back from spending time in the Word and spending time in prayer, or do these difficulties drive you closer to God. How will you receive the word? Then there are others who hear and they're overcome not by temptations or trials, but by distractions. Verses 7 and 14. The word of God is preached. The word of God is given. They hear the word of God. But what does Jesus say? The cares and riches and the pleasures of this life choke out the word. And they bring forth no fruit. One writer said it this way. These people hear and believe the word but are distracted by three things. Cares. The sheer busyness of life, making a living, caring for family and self, contributing to the community, and so on. Riches, either the pursuit of them or the enjoyment and contemplation of them, and pleasures, entertainment, and fun. None of these things are bad in themselves, but any of them can distract Christians from letting God's word bear fruit in their lives. Is there so much focus in the world? Or is your focus so much in the world, even the necessities and responsibilities? We have to make a job and earn a living, right? We have to take care of our family, right? Right? 
There are things that we have to do living in this world. But friends, is our focus so much in those things, on those things, that the efficacy of God's word is being choked out? I'm concerned that we tend to get so wrapped up in everything that we leave little or no time for God and His Word. Paul addressed this generally within two contexts of 1 Corinthians, where he comes to the same conclusion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he says this, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Do you know what Paul determined? There are some things that I will say no to. Not because they're wrong. Not because they are sinful. But I'll say no because there are other things that are more important. Hey, can I ask you this morning? Let's just, let's just let the tires hit the road, okay? Do you go through your day and you've scrolled Facebook or Instagram, you've watched the show that you can't miss, you've taken care of your responsibilities, you've worked your job, you've... Uh, You've taken care of family. You've survived the day and get to the end of the day and go, wow, I just didn't have time to read the Bible today. What, what's, what's more of a priority to you? How will you receive the word? Isn't that what Jesus would discuss with Martha in Luke chapter 10? We're getting there. We'll see it soon, I think. But remember, Mary and Martha have Jesus in their home in Bethany. And Martha's upset that Mary's not engaged in helping because, man, she's too busy sitting at the feet of Jesus. Oh, how dare she? What does Jesus say? Don't miss it. He didn't tell Martha that what she was doing was not important. But he said, Mary has chosen what is more needful. It was better for Mary to make sure she took time at the feet of Jesus than to get carried away with the cares of the world. Hey, can I ask you today, what kind of soil are you? Is your focus so much in the world, even, even the good things, the responsibilities, the necessities, that the efficacy of God's word is being choked out in your life? And then, 
there's a fourth type of soil. Found in verses 8 and 15, it is those others who truly hear the word. Some hear and never believe. Some hear and because of temptations and trials, they fall away. Some hear and God's word doesn't produce fruit in them like it should because they're distracted. But then there are others who truly hear the word. What does it mean to truly hear the word? Those who truly hear the word demonstrate, number one, sincerity. Notice what Jesus says again in verse 15. He says, they, that on the good ground are they, which in an honest and good heart. Wait a minute, pastor. Didn't God say somewhere... Your hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Doesn't Paul say that evil still dwells in our hearts? What is Jesus talking about when he says those who have an honest and a good heart? Jesus is not contradicting the reality of the problem that evil dwells in every man's heart. He is speaking specifically about an approach to the Word. How do you approach the Word of God? The person who approaches the Word of God with a good and an honest heart are those who come to the Word of God without preconceived ideas or notions. They come to the Word without preconceived responses. It doesn't matter what the pastor says today. It doesn't matter what I read today. Here's what I think about the Word of God. Here's how I'm going to live my life, and it's not going to change. That is not coming to the Word with an honest and a good heart. I am pursuing my degree in licensed clinical mental health counseling. And recently going through some of my coursework, I was reading about the efficacy of incorporating spirituality into therapy. But here's what's going on in the world for so many. Therapists or counselors who don't believe the Bible who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who may not even believe in God will take spirituality, religious truths, and they'll incorporate it with their clients for the sake of accomplishing some goal in efficacy in therapy. That would be one example of coming to the Word of God without an honest and a good heart. There are other examples a believer who looks for a verse to use as an argument or justification for his or her behavior I'm going to live my life this way and I found this verse in Hezekiah 2.1 that says I can it may be someone who uses a verse to guilt someone else into doing something that they want them to do 
I have heard too many reports, and so have you, of preachers and Christian leaders practicing abuse on others and using the word as justification for it. It it could be a, a pastor who uses the word wrongly to browbeat people into submission to him rather than preaching the word of God in truth to direct your focus to him. Again, it could be as I approach the word of God, the preaching of of God's word, I'm going to live my life this way and nothing is going to change that. That is not approaching the word of God with a good and earnest heart. Those who have good soil for the word must come to the word in sincerity, hungry and thirsty. For what God's word has to give. And those who truly hear the word demonstrate not only sincerity, but number two, exposure. Pastor, what do you mean by that? Look at what Jesus says. Who with an honest and a good heart, having what? Heard the word. To receive the word, a person has to be in a place where they can hear the word. It's so simple, but you have to be exposed to it. And friends, can I tell you today that a person who, whose only exposure to the Word of God comes on Sunday and then wonders why they don't grow already has the answer. Can I ask you, did you go through this past week and only eat one meal? Well, I'm going to have dinner on Wednesday, and that's going to be my one meal this week. Anybody do that? I didn't think so. Why? Well, unless you're in a fast for the spiritual benefit of it, we understand that our bodies need that substance, don't they? Can I tell you, friend, that as much and even more than your body needs substance, your soul and spirit needs spiritual substance. And yes, I, I pray, God, that you get spiritual substance when you're here or you're watching by way of the Internet if you can't be here personally for some reason. But you need more than that. You need to expose yourself to the Word of God, taking God's Word, reading and meditating and studying upon it for yourself. You need to to listen to the Word of God as it's preached and taught. How much exposure to God's Word are you getting? You need exposure. Those who truly hear the word demonstrate sincerity, exposure. They also demonstrate obedience. He says, those of the good soil, those that with a good and an honest heart, having heard the word, the next two words then in the text are this. Keep it. That's obedience. But the word that's used here, keep, 
literally means to hold fast. So it's more than just simple obedience. It speaks of a carefulness, a determination to not let go of what has been heard and received. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. So truly, hearing the word includes keeping it not just this simple obedience, but a carefulness, a a determination that no matter what comes, be it those difficulties, those trials and temptations, be it the distractions, I am going to hold on to what I've heard and received from the word. And then, those who truly hear the word demonstrate faithfulness. Notice what Jesus says at the end of verse number 15. He says, they bring forth fruit with patience. And right there you say, Pastor, you picked the wrong word. It should be they demonstrate fruitfulness. You say faithfulness. And here's why. Whose responsibility is fruitfulness? Ultimately, it's God's. Our responsibility is faithfulness. Jesus says they bring forth fruit with patience. The word patience here literally means cheerful endurance. It speaks of those who, in spite of the challenges, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the culture changing around them, in spite of the opposition that may be coming their way, they're faithful to do the work. How many of you farm or garden in any sense anyone okay any gardener or farmer will tell you the harvest doesn't come immediately or effortlessly right it takes time it takes diligent effort reaping a harvest if you're a gardener or a farmer requires patience and effort but think this for a moment friend ultimately it's not the farmer it's not the gardener that produces the crop who produces the crop god does well i don't know pastor i'm the one who was patient i'm the one who put in all the work well guess what it was god who established the laws of creation way back at the beginning in fact in genesis chapter 8 verse number 21 god following the flood as part of his rainbow promise said that day nor night would end the seasons would not end seed time and harvest would not end who established the laws of sowing and reaping god did so you and i have to put in the patience you and I have to put in the effort, but it is God who produces the harvest. And friends, the same thing is true spiritually. God's given us the responsibility of sowing. God's given us the responsibility of watering. 
He's given to us the responsibilities of patience and effort. But when the harvest comes, when the fruit comes, it comes of Him. It comes of Him. For us, the question is not necessarily how much fruit do you have? The question is, how faithful are you in sowing, watering, and preparing the harvest? And this speaks more than just people being saved by your witness. It even speaks of your own personal spiritual growth. Putting yourself in the place of bearing fruit. Hosea talks about sowing to yourself in righteousness. How do I do that as a believer in Jesus Christ? What will you do with the word? What will you do with the word? How do you receive the word? I mentioned last Sunday that I did something that previous week I've not done in 20 years and went to the dentist. The dentist was amazed that after that long of having not been to the dentist that my teeth and ingums were in the shape they were in, but there were still issues that needed to be addressed. And I, I took a first step this past Tuesday afternoon. I, I had to have a molar tooth extracted. My, my appointment was for 3 o'clock. And so I got up Tuesday, went about my day. But I found myself, as it grew closer and closer to 3 o'clock, I, I was getting a little anxious about it. I, I was thinking about it more. I was dwelling on it. I was wondering what it was going to be like and, you know, how how I would respond and you know, all those, all those good things. I didn't want to be a sissy in front of the dentist and the assistant, you know, and all those things. I told my wife at about lunchtime on Tuesday, I'm just getting nervous. I don't even know why. I've had a tooth pulled before, back when I was in college, but I was an ignorant college student and didn't think about it. I had a tooth pulled and went back to campus and went and played basketball for four hours. Didn't really care. But now I, I was a little anxious about it. I went to the appointment at 3 o'clock, and I sat in the, the chair. They called me back. I sat in the chair. And it doesn't help that I'm reading a consent form with all kinds of stuff on it. You know, you've got, you've got nerves running through your gums, and we might set off that nerve and damage, and it might be damaged for the rest of your life. And, you know, sometimes that root of the tooth is so set that in the efforts to get it out, we break your jaw. And I'm like... I'm going to die, you know. This is death. I went back and I sat in the chair and, and they put, a, they put a, a blood pressure cuff on my arm. And let's just say my blood pressure and my heart rate at that point were elevated. I got on my watch, my Apple watch, and, and looked. And at that point, at that moment, my heart rate was at about 117 not, not horribly elevated, but, but elevated. 
And I started praying and asking God, God, help me not to be a sissy in front of the dentist and the assistant. Help, help me to calm down. And I started quoting a verse I shared with you last summer became very real and very needful for me as I went through some health problems last summer. I started quoting just Psalm 24 over and over again in my mind. Yes, Psalm 23, 4, in the dentist chair. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Now, I don't know if there's empirical research behind this, but as I sat there quoting that verse over and over in my mind, I felt myself calming down some, and within about two to three minutes, my heart rate dropped to about 70. And it stayed well under 100 for the rest of the time there. Now, the moral of the story isn't if you find yourself with blood pressure and elevated heart rate, just quote scripture and you'll be fine. Okay, that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is what God's Spirit said to my heart in that moment. Mike, if my word can become so real, so relevant, and so needful in your life in that moment, then why not all the other times? When you're tempted to sin. Why not all the other times when you're facing a trial of faith? Why not as you're going through your day and the frustration is building for one reason or another and, and you're tempted to snap at your children or to snap at your wife or to snap at the person on the other uh, side of the phone? Why when you're going your life and, and you're facing challenges and stressors and all these things, why when you're anxious about what tomorrow is going to bring, why not then is my word so real and so relevant and needed in your life? What kind of soil are you? Friends, I have the same question for you today. What kind of soil are you? What will you do with the word? Can I ask you this morning, have you personally believed in Jesus for salvation from your sins? He came to earth. The Son of God became the Son of Man. Lived the perfect life that none of us can the death that we all deserve because of our sin and then on the third day rose victorious from death the grave and hell he lives today and offers us forgiveness of sin and salvation will you believe and be saved for those of you who would say pastor I, I'm saved I know Jesus is my savior how do you receive the word when the temptations to sin and the trials of faith come, are you tempted, are you prone to move away? Or in those times, is it your character to move closer to God? 
Are, are you so focused on the things of this world, even the necessities and responsibilities, that the efficacy of God's word is being choked out? Or, in sincerity, are you exposing yourself to the word of God, determined to obey and to be faithful? What will you do with the word? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? morning in the evening service we'll continue with what will you do with the word by looking further in the passage to see how we relate and then how we respond but simply today will you reflect on how you receive the word Are you like that soil that in an honest and a good heart, in sincerity, you come to God's word, whether it be to a preaching service, your personal time with the Lord, you come hungry and thirsty for what God's word has that you need? Do you come regularly? to be exposed to the word are you determined to obey and to be faithful what will you do with the word